Thanks to Weebly for supporting The Productivity Show. Weebly is more than a beautiful website builder. It's an all-in-one platform for artists and entrepreneurs who want to sell their products, build their brand, and create successful online businesses. Go to weebly.com TPS to get 15% off your first purchase. Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. One of the best ways to improve your productivity is to get around other productive people who can help you see your blind spots and share what really works. And that's exactly what we did last November for some of our best customers when we invited them to come to Austin, Texas for the Asian Efficiency Mastermind. In this episode, Tan and I dive deep into the Asian efficiency perspective on the mastermind and talk about how we put together a successful mastermind meeting, including how we made sure that the right people were there, the processes we used that help attendees get the results that they were looking for, why asking the right questions is so important, and we teach you how you can apply these questions and frameworks right now, even if you aren't currently connected to a mastermind group. If you want to know how you can start achieving next-level results by finding the right people and asking the right questions, then this episode is for you. You can find links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 192. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Schmitz, and with me today to talk about the Asian efficiency perspective to masterminds is the CEO himself, Tan Pham. How are you doing today, Tan? Hey Mike, I'm doing well today. How about yourself? Doing great. Excited to talk about your perspective of the Asian efficiency mastermind because I know that you paid a lot of attention to detail. You've talked in the uh, delegation uh, episode about how you had uh, some help uh, pulling it off, but basically you were the mastermind behind the mastermind. So we're going to pick your brain and find out what made it all work and made it all tick. Uh, but before we do that, we've got an Ask TPS question, which comes from Carrie Ann. And Carrie Ann asked, I remember someone on at Productivity FM said they feel that they would need to take notes when listening to audiobooks. My question is, what do you do with those notes? Hashtag AskTPS. Side note, I often want to do the same listening to your show. Uh, and this is an interesting idea because podcasts are a great way to let some really smart people speak into your life. I've been very impacted by the podcasts that I've listened to. And in fact, that's how I first found out about Tan. I heard him on the I heard him, I heard you on the Mike's on Mike's podcast back in the day with uh, Mike Vardy and, and Michael Schechter. So, my question to you, Tan, and we're going to uh, both answer this, and then we'll include some responses from people in the dojo also. But how do you retain info from podcasts? So, when it comes to podcasts and audiobooks, I, I look at them very differently. Now, we're we're both talking about the audio medium here. And for me, podcasts are really a form of entertainment. It's not really educational, even though that sounds kind of crazy because we teach a lot of stuff in our in, inside our podcast. But I treat it as entertainment first and education second. Whereas with audiobooks, I treat that education first and then entertainment second. So it's just my way of categorizing in my head how I treat something. So for podcasts, since it's entertainment first, uh, education second, I only look for 
one big tip or one big takeaway for every podcast that I listen to. If I listen to the Productivity Show or if I listen to any other podcast, because they tend to be long form, at least, well, most of my podcasts that I listen to are like 45 minutes and up, which I consider long form. For me, I get a lot of value from just implementing one thing. And especially if you listen to our episodes, we've been doing this for the last three years or so every single week. Imagine if you implemented one tip from every episode, well, guess what? You would have like a drastically different life, right? So that's how I treat it. If I just have one tip that I can implement, I get my money's worth from that podcast episode. So for me, if I hear something and it's like, okay, this is really important. I want to take notes or I want to implement this right away. I will actually stop the podcast and do it right away. And if I've done that, whether that's like an app recommendation or a book recommendation, or here's a quick tip, or you should change this setting or whatsoever, uh, I, I just do it right away because I'm usually walking. I'm usually doing something multitasking when I'm listening to podcasts. So my mind is not super focused. But if I hear something that makes me go, oh, yeah this is amazing. I need to do this or I get this. I do it right away and just stop the podcast, get the result that I'm looking for. And then I either continue listening to the podcast or uh, move on to whatever I was figuring out, uh, hearing on the podcast. So that's kind of my approach, which is based on what I'm hearing is kind of uh, strange, but that's, uh, that's how I do it. (laughs) I think my approach is pretty similar. Uh, I also agree that And my mindset is that podcasts equals entertainment and books tend to equal learning. So the books that I read are typically not fiction books. They are productivity, self-development type books. And the whole reason for investing the time in reading those books uh, is to really glean as much revelation, not just information, but stuff that really stands out to me and uh, produces a, a result in my life, stuff that I implements change. And so that's totally different than me listening to the latest episode of you know Accidental Tech Podcast. I'm not listening to that because there's going to be something in there that's going to change my life. Now, there may be. And when there are those things that I want to jot down the way that I do it, is I capture a draft in iOS, but I do it using my Apple Watch. So drafts has a complication, which I can open up and then use Siri to capture the text that I want into a draft. And draft is my my uh, quick entry inbox where everything starts. And then from there, I'll turn stuff into tasks in OmniFocus if it needs to be a task, or I'll put it somewhere else if it's appropriate. But literally everything starts out in drafts for me. So that's the way that I do it. And uh, like I said, the mindset here is important because I don't mind capturing a draft like that occasionally. One of the places that this is great, by the way, is when I'm out for a run uh, because I'll have my my phone typically in like a running belt and I don't want to dig it out and, and type something out. But I've got my watch on because I'm tracking the the distance, my heart rate, all that type of stuff. And it's real easy to just tap it, record uh, record something real quick. And uh, even with, um, if I'm running, and breathing hard, it still does a pretty good job of capturing that correctly. But I don't want to be doing that all the time. I want to do it just for the important stuff. Now, I've got a couple other people here from the the dojo. Uh, one of the things that I got from the people in the dojo uh, as I pose this question is that most of them 
don't take notes unless something jumps out at them, which is interesting because this is a productivity community. These are people who are serious about their productivity and even they are not trying to jot down every piece of information. They're looking for the stuff that's really going to stick. Uh, Nate Lowry said that he's only going to take notes if it's something I can plan on acting on in the next six months. He'll end up reading, listening to books, podcasts, and audiobooks to get the gist of what's going on and expand his mental models. Then when he's specifically working towards improvement in an area, he'll come back to the source material, deep dive, and take notes. I think that's a great approach. Yeah, so we also have Heather, and she uses show notes to follow up on things that she thought was important. And I think that is super easy to do as well because, well, at least from my point of view, we we spend a lot of time creating our show notes. So I hope people do actually use them because it summarizes a lot of things that were mentioned in the episode. A lot of the links and, and app recommendations and tools are always in the show notes, at least for us they are. So it makes it They've very easy. They've even got the, the clickable timestamps now. Yeah, exactly. So you can literally forward to that segment and, and hear that piece of uh, gold right away. So if you're not using show notes, definitely use the show notes to get the things that you were listening to. And for our episodes, it's really easy. If you know what the episode number is and you can see that when you uh, open up your podcast app, you can just go to theproductivityshow.com slash and then your number. So if the episode was 150, then you would go to theproductivityshow.com slash 150 and you would get the show notes there as well. Janera just commented in the podcast channel in Slack where we're recording this live and she says that she loves the show notes. She copies them into Evernote for future reference, which I think is a great idea. And it's got my brain, the wheels in my brain turning as to how you could set up some sort of script where that would just happen automatically. And then you could go back in and search everything at once if you needed to. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Love that Janera. Great to see you here. Yeah, and Kevin Young also mentioned that he uses Evernote. Uh, Matt Ryan, uh, he uses Dynalist, which I have to admit I was not familiar with before, but looks like a, a pretty cool app. So there's lots of ways to do this. There's no one right way, but I think the general advice we would give is that don't try to capture everything. Just capture the stuff that really jumps out at you and that is really going to make the difference. So Thanks, Carrie Ann, for the question. And if you want to get your question answered on the show, you can tweet at us at ProductivityFM with the hashtag AskTPS. But you know what's better than podcasts, Tan? Masterminds. <laughs> so we've covered masterminds before. If you want the attendees perspective, you can check out episode 178 with Dojo member Nate Lowry. We'll have the URL to that in the show notes. Uh, but in this particular episode, like I said at the beginning, we want to dive into this from the Asian efficiency perspective. All right. So, Tan, why don't you give us a little bit of the history of the mastermind that happened last year, and then we'll get into the details. Uh, but first of all, let's talk about how it came to be in the first place. Yeah. So if you've never heard about masterminds or mastermind groups. Let me just give you a quick recap what this is. And uh, the idea came from Napoleon Hill. He wrote a book many, many years ago. And in one of the chapters, he talked about mastermind groups. And uh, the book is Think and Grow Rich. So the idea there is if you're uh, somebody who is very ambitious in business and you want to be more successful, you have to surround yourself with people who can solve your problems and give you different perspectives. 
And when you grow a business and you run a business, you run into challenges all the time that you just don't know the answer to. But if you can surround yourself with different people with different backgrounds, they can give you advice, tips, or perspectives to make you see the problem in a different way or give you a direct solution to your problem. And so he saw this, Napoleon Hill saw this as a variable, as a very valuable tool for people in the early 20th century as a way for them to solve problems in their business and eventually grow their businesses and grow them into big industries and, and so on. So a mastermind is very common in the business world. Um, it's not necessarily so common in the professional side of the workforce, but if you talk to most business owners, uh, they've probably heard the idea of the mastermind before. And so since I'm, uh, running Asian efficiency, and I've always been very entrepreneurial. I've heard about masterminds before, and since 2006, I've been participating in some shape or form in a mastermind. So, uh, when I was in college, I would mastermind with uh, students in my class, and we would come together, do our homework together, and solve problems together that we couldn't figure out ourselves, right? Which is kind of a mastermind as well. Then, as I started, uh, growing Asian efficiency, I would also join other masterminds and kind of present my problem to the group and say, hey, uh, I have this problem. I'm trying to reach more people with Asian efficiency. What should I do? And people would say, oh, you should do this or should do that or tell me more. Like, who are you? What's what's your business? Like, who do you try to reach? Who are, try, who are you trying to help? And so I would try to like, I would come in with a problem that I thought I had and then oftentimes I would walk away with a totally different set of solutions that I never came up with and sometimes with even a different problem that I didn't even know I had. So in the Thinking Time episode, we talked about you know problems versus or root problems versus symptoms. And a lot of times I would think I would have a problem. A lot of times I would have symptoms, right? So if you haven't heard that episode, definitely go check that out because it's um, a really valuable tool to have to distinguish between what's a symptom in your business, in your life, and what's a real problem. And so over the last couple of years, like I've participated in different masterminds, you know, some of them are paid, some of them are free. Price ranges are crazy. So some of them I've paid $1,000 to be a part of one time. One was $5,000 for a weekend. And then I've also been part of a $25,000 a year mastermind where we meet up four times a year. Uh, and there's also different sizes. So some groups are really small, like five to eight people. Some are like bigger than that. So I would call medium size would be somewhere between eight and 20, which is usually a weekend. And then the other one that I was a part of, which was $25,000 a year was um, like roughly a hundred people or so. And that's a totally different format, which is more like a mini conference and then being able to network with others. So, the value of the mastermind is really to get valuable tips and insights that you would otherwise never get and also different perspective. And so when we started doing this, this is something that was totally new in our industry, right? So, and I'm sure you've seen this, Mike, when we hosted ours last year in Austin, most people didn't even know what a mastermind was. I didn't even really know what a mastermind was. <laughs> Masterminds are those things that you hear people talk about all the time but it can be really easy to be too scared to ask the what seems like a really stupid question, <laughs> which is my case. I just showed up and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and what was funny was um, 
I assumed that you guys knew for some reason. I, I just assumed that our audience knew too when we first introduced the whole idea uh, and when we tried to sell the first couple ones. And, uh, and I was real surprised because actually nobody knew what it was. And uh, so by the time you guys came to Austin to, to do it, you guys were really surprised. Like, what do we do? What's the format? Like, how does this look? And I thought, oh, you guys already knew this. And we also learned that, okay, in our industry, this is a brand new concept. And, um, and so it was actually a very tough sell in the beginning to fill up the seats because people just did not understand what a mass mind was, even though I tried to explain it to them. It was just so new to them that uh, we actually had a very hard time filling up seats in the beginning. So the first couple of ones were actually very small and has gradually become bigger and bigger because people are just more educated about what a mastermind is. Uh, they see the value in it. We now have people on the podcast like Nate talking about the value of it. We even have YouTube videos now where people talk about the results they've gotten. So if you haven't checked those out, you can go to youtube.com and just type in Asian efficiency and you'll find several case studies of people who've gone through the mastermind. Uh, so some people like grew their businesses significantly. I believe that was Nate who had like a 50% increase in sales in one year or some ridiculous number. And we had other people who were like stay at home moms and we had people who worked in corporate and can you maybe describe your perspective from the Austin mastermind? Because uh, we had a very diverse set of people, which is highly curated. And I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, I'm curious to hear your perspective, Mike, since you were going through it for the first time as well. Like you were meeting some people for the first time. You were seeing different problems from different people. Like what was your take on the whole thing? Sure. Well, let me let me just clarify that I I, I understood the concept of the mastermind. It's not like I showed up and then was just completely surprised by what we did, but it's totally different hearing about it and then physically being there with people. Like that was, I don't think there was anything that you could have done to prepare me for how awesome that was. Uh, it's just something about being physically in the same room with people. That's there's a, there's a connection that you make there that you can't make in any other way, in my opinion. Um, but the mastermind itself, I my approach uh, or my perspective of it, it was really interesting because a lot of times you don't even see the value of the questions that you're posing or the potential solutions that you're throwing out there. You don't really know what's sticking and what's hitting the mark necessarily. But when you're on the hot seat, which I know we'll, we'll talk more about the specifics here. And we talked a little bit about that in episode 178 when Nate was on. Um, but when you're in the hot seat, like, and you you're, you've invested, and you've thought through your problem, and you've posed this question to the group, it totally changes what you're avail what you are able to get from the other people in the room. I remember talking to Nate during one of the breaks, and I asked him, like, so, like, what did you think? Was that helpful at all? And he's like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what to do. <laughs> And by the way, he shared with me uh, in the Dojo Slack uh, team the other day that he's been implementing what he learned at that mastermind in his business. And he gave me some numbers that he said I could share. He said his sales went from 35K in Q1 of 2017. And then in November of 2017, that's when we had the mastermind. And he did 60K of sales in Q1 of 2018. So that's actually almost a hundred percent improvement in in the in his sales numbers, but um, yeah, it's 
it's uh, it's really interesting when you get people in a room and you just have the right questions that are asked, like what happens? I think that that's where a lot of the value from a mastermind comes is in having people like yourself, Tan, you did a great job facilitating it. And I'm not saying that just because you're my boss, <laughs> but if you throw out the right questions to people, then uh, they're pretty smart, especially our customers. And it's uh, pretty cool to hear the the solutions that they come up with. Yeah, so if you've listened to the Thinking Time episode, which is 162, um, I talk about this concept of problems versus symptoms. And when we did our mastermind in Austin last year in 2017, people would, I'll walk you through in a scenario, I think that will really explain and kind of visualize how this whole process works because we had a bunch of questions from people asking like, okay, love the episode with Nate Lowry on masterminds. Like how do I implement my own? And I think if I can visually describe it, maybe that will make it a little easier. So to give you an example, um, first of all, one of the things we always say is whatever we discuss at the mastermind stays 100% confidential. So people can be very open. They want to be able to share some of their sensitive information, whether that's financial numbers, whether that's a personal family situation. Um, it, I make everybody kind of verbally sign off on that before we get started. So it just sets the tone that this is an open space and that we can trust each other and that we're here to help each other out, right? And so we th that's how we start the mastermind. And then there's a very specific order that people go in and that's highly curated and planned. So when I put the mastermind together, I wanted to make sure that everybody had enough time to uh, have a hot seat. So in hot seat, meaning you bring up your problem, your challenge, and people dedicate time to help you out. And then uh, from there, we have breaks in between. And uh, I kind of like monitor the, the temperature in a room, uh, both physically and literally, uh, but also uh, mentally as well to kind of see, okay, is everybody tired or do we need to take a break or can we keep going? And so, um, so a simple example is, there was somebody at the mastermind who said something along the lines of, hey, um, I'm just so overworked. I'm really tired all the time. And I just don't feel very happy right now with all the stuff going on at work. Like, what do you think I should do? And then uh, as you can probably tell from that language, if you heard the Thinking Time episode, that's not really a problem, but it's a frustration that somebody has or in other words, it's a symptom that somebody has, right? So we have to figure out usually in the beginning, okay, what's the real problem here? And some people come really prepared and say, this is my problem and I need your feedback on this. And then even then, uh, if the facilitator and the group does a good job digging around, they, they'll start to recognize, oh, that's actually not the real problem. It's actually a symptom of something else, right? So the first couple of minutes when somebody's speaking, you're just trying to listen to what they're saying, you're trying to figure out like, is this the real problem or is this a symptom, right? Once you figure that out, you can then ask the right questions. And so one of the questions I always started off with, and I know you know this, Mike, all too well, uh, because I saw you asking this other people and other attendees started asking other people as well. When they finished their story and what they saw and what they experienced, uh, I will always ask them, okay, what's the ideal outcome of today? What's the ideal solution that you want to walk away with today. And once we get clarity around that and what the definition of done is in that sense, then we can work towards that. And it doesn't really matter then 
what the specific problem is almost, but we're trying to figure out like different strategies to get to that specific outcome, right? And so when I lead the mastermind, I always want to make sure that everybody in the room understands, okay, this is the boundary that we place on ourselves because this person is looking for this specific outcome. So if this person wants to be able to do yoga again, have a morning ritual, be able to have dinner with the family, if that's their definition of done or their their, their definition of success or the outcome that they're looking for, great. Okay, now let's work towards that. And there's different strategies that then lead to that particular outcome. And if we don't have clarity on the outcome, well, what happens then is that everybody will just like give super random tips, advice, uh, stories about their own path to whatever worked for them. And that's all fine, but it's not really helping the person. If anything, it's just becomes so overwhelming because there's so many different options to go in different routes, right? So we want to kind of like narrow down the focus in the beginning and then let everybody rip it and just go at it. And that seems to be really valuable, even though it sounds so simple. Thanks to Weebly for supporting The Productivity Show. Weebly is the easiest way to create an incredible-looking website. Its e-commerce platform has the tools you need to sell products, create marketing campaigns, tell your brand's story, and more. And because Weebly's mission is to help turn people's great ideas into successful online businesses, they've built an incredible support team. No scripts, no robots. Just a friendly human who can help you do what needs doing. So if you've got a product or idea that you want to share with the world, check out Weebly. Have your online store up and running in a matter of hours. Because you listen to this podcast, visit weebly.com TPS and get 15% off your first purchase. That's weebly.com TPS. When you said earlier, oh, by the end of the whole thing, it was so awesome. I'm curious to hear from your point of view then, what is your definition of awesome? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, let me back up just a a little bit. I can come back and answer the question of what I think made it awesome. But I was kind of impressed by something that you said regarding the ideal outcome, because you mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you've been doing masterminds forever. You were doing masterminds as a student and you had a group project, you're working on stuff. And it strikes me that to implement a mastermind, you don't necessarily need to pay a bunch of money or you don't have to have uh, something, you don't have to have some formal structure, uh, you don't have to have a certified mastermind facilitator there in order for this to work. But what those things do, like you mentioned, the one that you're in where it's pretty expensive, uh, but the people that are there are all entrepreneurs who are trying to build their business. That changes the ideal outcome of the people who are participating. I know I've got a friend who's a part of the strategic coach stuff, and that's kind of the same thing. It's like $25,000 or something, but everybody there is a very high-functioning, growth-minded entrepreneur and when you have everybody there who is who their ideal outcomes is i want to double my sales you know i i want to i want to uh, achieve so much revenue like that's a pretty small investment for some of these people who really want to just take their business to the next level but uh coming back to the 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 question you posed to me about what i thought made it awesome was the fact that 
everybody had something to contribute, whether they realized it or not. Now, I think that what made that work was that question that you asked every single person who was on the hot seat, what is your ideal outcome? Because like you said, that influences what other people are going to contribute. Uh, If this person says their ideal outcome is to double their business next year, quarter one, then telling them your own personal experience with implementing an evening ritual so that you sleep better, like that, (laughs) that maybe is connected, but not necessarily. Uh, And so because you've only got so much time on the hot seat, you've got a limited amount of time, which is devoted to solving your specific problem. Uh, When everybody recognizes why they're there, and then when everybody buys into solving the problems posed by the other people in the mastermind, that's where I was really impressed with some of the solutions that were that, that we landed on. And sometimes, like I said, uh, when regarding Nate, like we threw out ideas, and we didn't really know because only he could answer which way he wants to take his business and who his ideal customer is, and whether he's going to expand his product line or he's going to niche down. You know, and we can have our own perspectives on like what we think he should do. But the advice that we gave him, you know, when I talked to him afterwards, he's like, yeah, I know exactly what I need to do because he had taken the time to think through the problem. Uh, And sometimes, you know, as a facilitator, you're helping people, like you said, not just address the symptom, but really identify the problem. Once you identify the problem and you ask the right questions and you get a little bit of feedback, uh, it was really amazing to me how the solutions just kind of materialized and and people knew, uh, regardless of their situation, because there was a really diverse group there, exactly what they had to do next. And I'm going to not ask you a trick question, but since you weren't on the hot seat, why did you find it so valuable? I personally just really like helping people. (laughs) And so when I was able to offer some advice that people thought was good and and might change their situation like that did something for me. Uh, My friend Brandon, he runs the optimal digital marketing here in town. And he's got a phrase that I love, give more than you take. You know, so for me, uh, it was cool because I wasn't on the hot seat that that's exactly what I was able to do. I was able to give and uh, I was pretty exhausted at the end of the day, but it felt really good. So the reason I bring that up is because a lot of people think that a lot of the value comes from being in the hot seat. And yes, there's definitely a lot of value being in the hot seat and being able to pose your question, pose your challenge and say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. I would love some perspectives. And Uh, since you have this other perspective, what I'm about to bring up is probably going to resonate with you. But a lot of the wisdom, a lot of the gold, a lot of the, oh, no, I did not know this. I need to do this or implement this comes from just being in the room and hearing what other people are are sharing. If you are in that mastermind room that we did uh, back in November of, of last year, and you did not say anything at all, you just took notes and you're just interested in productivity in general and personal growth, you would get as much value as somebody who who was in the hot seat. Because when you hear other people's challenges, other people's questions, other people's stories, other people's like tips, advice, strategies, you'll start to see that one, we're all human, right? No matter how successful we are, we all deal with different things in different ways. And you'll start to see that all the challenges and problems that people are trying to figure out are not very unique. We tend to think that we are special people, (laughs) that we have special challenges. But then when you're in the room, you start to realize actually, especially if you've done it multiple times and many times before, 
um, you start to see actually most of the challenges and problems are not very unique. Um, they have been solved before by somebody else in the room. And when we come to these kind of events, we tend to think, okay, you know, nobody else knows this, but maybe somebody else can help me with this. And as somebody who's been through so many masterminds, you know, the problem seems unique because of your unique situation. And in that sense, it is kind of unique because you have unique resources, unique timing, unique circumstances that you're dealing with. And in that sense, it is kind of like tailored for you. But when you zoom out, you know, most of the challenges in, at our masterminds are very similar, right? So for example, people are generally interested in growing their business and uh, people are generally interested in being more productive in, in their well-being and having more uh, freedom in their life. Like those are like the major themes. And it's just different strategies and different paths to get to that particular outcome tailored to that person who is in that particular hot seat based on their situation, where they live, where they are in life, what kind of circumstances they have. And so that's how we can then tailor the advice that we could otherwise never do inside our courses, right? And this is something I talk about all the time is that the solutions that you hear um, online or when you read about stuff or hear them even on our podcast, everybody is always going to try to personalize them to their own situation. And you totally should. What's great about the live events, the mastermind or the seminars or coaching that we do is that we can personalize it for you. So it even takes out more of the thinking in that sense. Like you don't have to think like, how do I personalize this for my own situation? But you can actually get it spoon fed to you almost saying, hey, based on your business or based on your life where you're at right now, you should probably consider doing X, Y, and Z, right? Instead of like extrapolating it and making it a little bit more generic. So that's, I think, super valuable being part of a mastermind is that even if you're not in a hot seat, you can hear very specific strategies and tools and recommendations that one, you would otherwise never hear, uh, but also two, you learn from other people. And some people are maybe further ahead of you. And this is a really great way to learn from their experience and, and like almost shortcut the process that they're going through right now, knowing that, oh, you know, I'm probably going to run into that as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I definitely got that impression when I was there that like just hearing what other people were doing and how they were going to apply these solutions to their businesses that I, I learned a lot just being in the room. But it also struck me how when you had people in the hot seat, going back to your point about how you know your problems really aren't as unique as you think they are, uh, how many times, and I don't have an exact count, but I can remember more than one instance where we'd be talking to somebody about their problem and you start asking questions like, what about this? What about that? And at first they've got answers for like why their situation is unique and why that's not going to work. And then at the end, they're just kind of like, yeah, you're right. I just need to do that <laughs> X, Y, or Z because, uh, you know, they just talking through it and asking those questions just helps them to, to realize and see their situation for what it really is. Oh man, this is like, 99% of our clients, <laughs> pretty much, they oftentimes already know what they need to do. Yeah. And it's, it's so crazy, but um, I'm actually very proudful of the type of clientele that we have, the types of people that join our courses that are in the dojo. Part of that is function of pricing. This is a very deliberate thing. Like we tend to price our stuff a little bit more at a premium. And it also attracts a certain 
type of clientele for that reason. And what I like about our customer base, reader base, whatever you want to call it, um, these people that we have in there, people like you who are listening today, they tend to be a little bit further ahead than most people, which I really uh, like because it brings more interesting challenges that you have to solve. But also, as you've just said, Mike, most people actually already know what they need to do, but then there's like a mental block somewhere that prevents them from taking action on doing it. And I see this with our mastermind. I see this with our coaching client and being a good coach, being a good facilitator, being a good mentor, uh, being a good role model for others in that sense. um, I've learned over the years that, you know what? It's not always about giving them the right solution. A lot of times it's just facilitating the process in the right way for them to see what the right solution is. And even though I might know what the right solution is, sometimes I won't give it to them right away because they might have heard of it before, right? So you don't want to spoon feed it in that sense, but you want to kind of like lead them to that path so that they answer their own question in a way. And this is something you see really good managers do whether that's in corporate or in an organization that you work for, is like when you come to them with problems and challenges, if they just tell you like, hey, you should do this or do that, you know, you'll you'll take that and you'll implement it and it might be great. But then it takes away the appreciation of the insight, but also um, you don't really learn how you solve that problem. And so being a good coach and facilitator and mentor in that sense is leading people to the solution and making people realize, okay, this is actually what I already knew, but now I really understand why this is the case and what I need to do. And so you can do that by asking them questions, making them or making statements that make them think about the solution. And so maybe you've seen this hopefully with me doing this to you and and others on the team. But also I've seen this with other very, very successful managers and people who manage people. This is something that they do very often is to facilitate the outcome, but not really give the outcome. Because especially if you're trying to build managers, if you just spoon feed everything and fix problems for them, they're never going to grow. Right, And it's the same thing with a mastermind. If you just spoon feed everything you know, yes, there is some value to that, but the biggest value, especially with our reader base and client base is they already know what they need to do. We just need to make them realize that this is actually the number one thing instead of the five options they have in front of them. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking of right now so many parallels to to parenting <laughs> because you tell your kids stuff over and over and over again. And it's not that they don't know what they're what they should do in a given situation, but sometimes they just have to learn it for themselves. Uh, and really, that's the value of the mastermind is that you don't have to go through all the pain of trying to figure it out for yourself if you have the right mindset. If you have the right mindset, the right information at the right time can totally change your life. And that's why, you know, one of the points you have here is that no one can see their own blind spots. Well, it can be scary to get on the hot seat because you feel like everything is exposed now. You feel so vulnerable, but that's actually a good thing if you've got the right mindset, because like you have in the show notes, you don't know what you don't know. So by presenting your your problem and then approaching it with humility and recognizing that there are people here who can help you solve this already solved problem, 
uh, you can shortcut your success a lot just by having somebody else shine a light on something that you never really realized was there. Yeah. This is why it's so important to have a very diverse group of people for that exact reason. Because if you have a bunch of tech people who all work at Apple in the same room, well, guess what? You're going to get very similar solutions to challenges because they all do very similar work. Their line of thinking is very similar. And so the the, the quality of the solutions usually aren't as good versus somebody uh, who is in a room full with like entrepreneurs. Then we have like corporate workers. Then we have like people who are, are retired. Then we have people who maybe are X, Y, and Z, right? Like completely different. So you're going to get very different tips, very different outcomes or not outcomes, but strategies to get to a certain outcome. You're going to get so many different perspectives that will make you think, oh, you know, I've never considered this perspective or that perspective or going about it this way. So when I was curating the uh, attendee list for our mastermind, um, I had everybody kind of like go through a application process. Um, I knew most people by first name basis as well. So it was kind of easy in that sense to be able to say, hey, you know, I think you would be a good fit based on uh, what I know about you. Uh, some of the people that were there, I've personally worked with one-on-one, so I knew kind of like their background already. So this was a very curated list, and I knew exactly who was going to be there, what kind of value that they would bring to the group, people from different age ranges, different backgrounds. Some people were working, some people were not. Some people worked in corporate, some people were entrepreneurs. So when somebody brought up a productivity problem, well, guess what? You're going to get advice from somebody who runs a very successful like brick and mortar business, right? And then you're going to get advice from somebody who is like a senior executive at a Fortune 500 company. Then you're going to get advice from somebody who maybe is uh, a manager for a big organization. Um, And you get all these different perspectives, men, women, uh, and and you start to think, oh man, I never thought about this this way. And this is something I always see at every single mastermind. It's like when I pose a problem, I, I just get so many different perspectives that it's just so difficult to see your own blind spots. No matter how smart I think I am sometimes, <laughs> no matter how smart other people think they are, um, it's just so difficult, if not impossible, to see certain blind spots. So it's just really useful to have all these different perspectives. And that's why you see in big companies, when they have a boardroom, the boardroom's function is to tame the cowboy, as Keith Cunningham likes to say, and the cowboy being the CEO of the company. Like what they're really trying to do is like, the CEO is super, you know, super excited, super optimistic about where the business is going to go. They, their perspective on everything is just being overly optimistic on everything. And sure, they have problems and challenges that they'll bring to the boardroom. Um, and it's the boardroom's function almost to tame that person and say, hey, you know what? It's actually not going to be that easy. Or this is the problem you're dealing with right now. But actually, this is the real problem you have to think about, right? Problem versus symptom again. And then giving different solutions to to the challenges. So uh, how about implementing that for your own life, right? How about surrounding yourself with different people who all have different backgrounds, um, and have different pieces of value that they can add to your life. And that's really what I really want to introduce in our industry is to have this mastermind where we can get together and have a diverse set of people 
uh, sharing what's working for them based on their backgrounds, unique situations that I think would really be beneficial to uh, people listening to us and, and following us and uh, people in our industry in general. Oh, nice. I like that Tame the Cowboy. I'm going to have to tell that to Brooks as we're flying in for quarterly planning. That That's our job, I guess, is Tame the Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I want to I go back uh, to something that you said regarding the different perspectives and how valuable that is. It just kind of strikes me that uh, one of the problems, and this is somebody, uh, I actually heard this from somebody who listens to the productivity show as well, that uh, they had asked basically, how do you avoid the echo chamber? Because if you surround yourself with people who are all saying the same thing, then you get enough people saying it, it can, it can seem like a good idea. But when you have different perspectives, you have different people with different experiences where they can say that, yes, this part is true, but based on this other perspective, this other experience that I have over here, this part maybe isn't so true. And that ends up giving you a much more complete picture and much better advice, I would argue. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Asian efficiency is it is not the TanFam show. It is not you presenting all of your productivity expertise. We've got a bunch of people on the team who have those different perspectives. We had Marmel on the show not too long ago. Uh, we've got you, you're the, you're the CEO, you know, you are, you don't have any kids. I've got five kids. <laughs> Brooks is coming from a corporate job. So like we've all got these different perspectives and because we have to synthesize all this stuff, uh, what you end up getting in my opinion anyways, uh, is a much more complete picture of what works when it comes to productivity. And it's also really cool to see the dojo community, which as it continues to grow, you get a bunch of people in a bunch of other situations who are contributing their own stuff. The The dojo forum in particular, there's tons of stuff in there. Every time I go in there, I'm just blown away by the quality of the people that are in the dojo and also the advice that they are offering. We have some really, really smart customers. Uh, and in fact, we've got a link in the show notes. You had mentioned some of the videos. Uh, we've got a testimonial from Lisa Donahue, who is one of the people who was at the mastermind. And there's a couple other people who are at the mastermind as well. So if you want to, if you want to meet Lisa, you can follow that link. That's going to be in the show notes. Yeah. Whenever I go to the forum, there's just this amazement of, wow, we have people who, for example, a small subset of people are into the academic world. And when we released that podcast episode where you had those two guys on sharing what's working for them in the academic world and how they're like uh, a special type of athlete and, and the tools that they use and their scheduling challenges, people started to jump on the forum and say, hey, this was an awesome podcast. I really appreciate that you talked about academic challenges when it comes to productivity because that's very unique in that sense. And in a way it is, right? And when people were posting on a forum saying, hey, uh, how do you guys do research or how do you store your notes? Like how do you uh, use references and, and such and such? I was like, wow, this is very interesting because I never looked at productivity from that angle because I'm not involved in the academic world whatsoever. And I find that super interesting to read. And it's just when you join the dojo and you look at the forum, that's just like one form of a mass mind in a way. Because when you post your question in there, you're going to get feedback from me, right? You're going to get feedback from Mike, from books, from people on the forum who are maybe like other uh, academics 
there could be other CEOs there. There could be people who are semi-retired. Uh, there could be people who there who just started their business and can give you perspectives. So it's just a great way to get a different feel and outlook on, on things that you're dealing with. So a lot of times people will go on the forum and pose a question that they can really ask their family or friends, right? And this is kind of the value add as well in the sense that if you ask your family or friends what your problems and challenges are, oftentimes they're not willing to give you a good answer or the honest answer. And so even, you know, if you ask your wife or husband uh, one of the challenges that you might have, they're usually afraid to hurt your feelings. And no matter how good the relationship is, no matter how long you guys have been together, they're just not in a position to be able to give you a really honest, good answer sometimes. And so if you just limit yourself with people who you are very close to, that you trust, that are friends, family, you get very limited feedback in that sense. Whereas if somebody is in the mastermind that you don't know and that person has permission to be completely honest, they will sometimes say things that you don't want to hear. And that's kind of painful in the beginning when you first experience it. But by the end of it, you actually really appreciate it because you start to, again, get perspectives that you've never heard of, considered, uh, and it makes you think even more. And usually you get better outcomes as a result of that as well. So that's a big part of the mastermind is that sometimes you'll get brutal honesty that you're just sometimes not even ready for, but it's actually beneficial in that sense. And sometimes we... I think we can all relate. We wish we, we had people in our lives who were just 100% honest instead of saying, oh, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, and they kind of waver back and forth instead of getting, giving you the, the straight answer. Yeah, just give it to me straight. <laughs> Even if you think it'll hurt, like, I want to know the truth. Um, to going back to the TPS 186, which was the how to overcome academic challenges with productivity tools. And that was uh, Eric and Richard who were on that episode in particular, who are both dojo members, by the way. That was probably the scariest podcast I've ever recorded <laughs> because uh, I communicated with them via email previously. But we've talked internally, at least, that I don't really like doing guest episodes because I want to make sure that what we present to people as an end product really delivers a ton of value. And I've listened to enough, quote unquote, productivity podcasts where they've got some big name on there and they're just there to sell their thing. And you feel like they're really, you really didn't learn anything from the time that you invested there. So I try, try to avoid that. But that episode in particular, that was a great episode. I was blown away by how smart and how, how comfortable both of those guys felt, or at least they appeared to <laughs> on the, on the microphone. And you're right. It was something that I just had like no frame of reference for, but we posted that episode and it sparked a whole big thread in the, the dojo forum. And actually it was probably, uh, probably created before that, but definitely saw some resurgence after that episode was, was published. And it was cool that uh, like I've personally felt it, it was very rewarding for me to be a part of producing that episode and delivering that value to people in the academic world. Cause they were, they were all saying the same thing that this episode is great. And, uh, 
I really didn't have any expertise in that area. I just was there to facilitate. <laughs> and uh, that's really what the dojo is. It's a, it's, a, it's a place where we can facilitate those connections. And you don't have to join the dojo specifically. Obviously, that's our best attempt to create that sort of atmosphere, to put you in the right room, so to speak, when it comes to surrounding yourself with the right people who can ask you the right questions. But uh, whether or not you decide to join the dojo, that concept is, is still the same. Now, we've talked a little bit about the right questions, and you mentioned the ideal outcome. Are there any other additional questions that you'd like to throw out to people? Uh, I think this is a really important concept, and I don't think I know anyone who is uh, more capable of speaking to this because I know you've asked me questions that have just blown me away at, at the right time. Uh, one in particular I can think of is like, you always uh, ask me, what's the difference that makes the difference? So uh, do you have any questions like that that you would throw out to people that uh, you use to create a successful mastermind experience? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> the question about a question. I have a Rolodex of good questions in general, but it's 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 like a tool. I, I have to pull them out at the right situation. And usually when I have the opportunity in front of me, I, I kind of know what to pull out. But the first thing is always, okay, what's the ideal outcome that we're trying to shoot for? Or what's the ideal outcome that you want to have, right? So having clarity on that first is the most important thing. And whether that's a mastermind, whether that's a coaching client, whether that's a course that you're about to take, or even a book that you read, it'll, it'll completely shape and change how you experience something and learn something. For example, if you just ask yourself before any any other book you're about to read, right? Maybe you're starting a book tonight, just ask yourself, okay, what's the ideal outcome I want from this book? If you ask yourself this question before you start reading, you will see how differently you will read the book. Because if you ask yourself that question, you give you give it an answer. So for example, if your outcome was, um, I want to have two extra hours of free time every single week. That's my ideal outcome. If you then read this book, you will read it very differently than saying, oh, you know what? I just want to relax and enjoy the book, which is probably what most people do, right? Uh, because your brain will start to look for different things and your brain will scan for different things to validate or to answer the question that you post, right? So same thing with a mastermind. Before you start giving feedback, before you start sharing, make sure we get 100% clarity around what the outcome is, right? So you always want to ask the person who's in the hot seat what the ideal outcome is. And then once they start talking, one of the things that I think that makes us so different from a lot of other people who teach productivity is that we're very action focused, meaning our content is very actionable. When you listen to the podcast, when you read our blog posts, when you receive our email newsletters, everything is actionable. And so this is something I'm really conscious of when I work with people as well, is that, okay, if you're in the hot seat, you just clarified your action steps or not clarified your outcome, what are the ideal action steps then by the end of it that you're going to take, right? So before we wrap up your session, I want to make sure that you have a very clear idea of what the first two, three steps are. Because if you don't know what your first step is going to be, you know, you just got an overwhelm of information and strategies and tips, and then you come home and then nothing happens, right? So I always want to make sure that before people leave the room, that they have one action step 
that they can take. So before we wrap up, I always ask them, hey, Nate, or hey, Mike, or hey, Lisa, uh, based on what you heard today, what are your main takeaways so far? Right. So I, I like to lead in with that, and they start to repeat, okay, I like this, or I think this is applicable to me, or I have never considered this, like this is something I want to think about more. And then I say, okay, based on what you just said, X, Y, and Z, uh, which one do you think you can implement within the next 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days, whatever framework or time period is relevant to them? And say, oh, you know, I think this one, or they might say completely 180, and they might say, actually, I want to consider all of them, um, and I want to spend more time thinking about this. And then I say, okay, well, let's create that as an action step. Let's create the first action for you to think about these challenges or these solutions that you just uh, have presented to you. What's a date and time that you're going to dedicate to this? What's the first moment that you can actually do this, right? So really nailing down the first step and making it actionable is like the 80-20 of running a good mastermind and being a good facilitator. And then everything else is kind of really just clarifying the action steps or the ideal outcome in that sense. Nice. So the Austin Mastermind, we had, I think, 45 minutes for people in the hot seat. And it seemed like, you know, with the number of people that we had, we were there pretty much all day. By the end of it, I know I was pretty exhausted. Um, So I'm curious, is there a specific time, regardless of the number of people that are a part of the mastermind, is there like a, a time frame that you would recommend people shoot for in terms of the the time to get the most benefit from a hot seat session? Yeah. So based on my experience so far, 45 minutes seems to be pretty good for us. Um, if you have a business challenge, I would say it could be even 60 minutes. But usually for personal development, productivity stuff, 45 minutes is usually good enough um, based on what I've seen so far. And we tend to do ours at 45 minutes. And some people even bring business challenges as well. Um, But then there's always like this hint of personal productivity attached to that as well, right? So I find 45 minutes working just fine. And as far as how many sessions you want to do in a day, it's really... Uh, as long as the group can hold it up <laughs> kind of thing. Right. I've been been part of some where we did literally 12 hours in the whole day um, and then did not include lunch or dinner. It was literally like starting 8 a.m. in the morning and sometimes ending at midnight kind of thing. Um, and that totally worked because we were in the house. We rented out a house for a weekend and we were there, you know, seriously engaged and uh, everybody had a good time. We had drinks, we had food. Uh, it was just very relaxing in that sense. So going for it like from 8 a.m. till midnight was like no problem in that sense. Whereas ours that we did in Austin, the AE version of it, was a little bit more structured, was a little bit more uh, like timekeeping as if you were in Toastmasters kind of thing. And I find in that setting, like eight hours of just like working, quote unquote, is really the max. And that's kind of like what we kept it to. And like you said, Mike, you are just dead tired by the end of it. Like mentally, physically, because you're just thinking so much, you're you're trying to solve problems in your head so much. And it's just very tiring. So I would say eight hours at most. So we went from nine to five and that was like the sweet spot for us. 
Yeah. And then there was something at the end, which I really want to touch on because this, I think, really helps cement stuff for the people who attended the mastermind. But it's also something that I think has personal application to anybody who wants to bring a little bit more clarity to the problem that they're trying to solve, whether they have a mastermind that they've invested in or not. And that's this ice matrix. Do you mind walking us through this real quickly? Yeah, so this is something that we started implementing at a, I think, couple quarters ago. Um, I picked this up actually at a mastermind. <laughs> so this is how I learned about it. And I thought, whoa, this is genius. I need to implement this right away. So ICE stands for Impact Confidence Ease. So I-C-E. Wait. So when we do quarterly planning, and you're going to actually fly in tomorrow with Brooks, and we're going to do ours um, over the next couple of days, as we're trying to grow Asian efficiency and reach more people and help more people, there's so many opportunities that we could pursue. And there's like probably lists of 50 things that we could do. So how do we prioritize what we need to do? Well, first of all, we know that, okay, what's the ideal outcome, right? What's the goal that we're shooting for? And in this case, for example, for us, it might be growing the dojo, right? We, wanna, we might wanna grow the dojo to a certain size, or uh, maybe it's like generating a certain amount of revenue dollars, or maybe it's making 50 customers feel like, like brand advocates. Like it could be all sorts of different things, right? So once you have clarity on the goal, then you start to filter out things that don't align with that, right? So out of the 50 opportunities we have, if they don't align with the goal that we set for the year, then we have to scrap those. And then we're left with a list of things that's, um, are in alignment with our goals. So then maybe we're left with, say, 20 items or opportunities to pursue. How do you then prioritize from there? And um, we do this on a company level, and I'll talk a little bit later how you can do this on a personal level. But the way we do it on a company level is to then say, okay, let's list those 20 items here or opportunities, and then we'll create a matrix. So we list the items here, and then we have an, another column where we use the ice matrix or the ice scoring, I should say. So we have a column that is impact. We have a column called confidence, and then we have a column ease. And so we want to score them on a rating of one through five, one being the lowest, five being the highest. So let's say, let's say our goal was to do $500 million in one year, right? So ridiculous number. And then somebody would bring up an idea and say, Hey, Tan, uh, we should, um, spend money on podcast advertising, right? And I say, okay, that sounds like an interesting idea. Um, is this in alignment with our goal of growing to $500 million in one year? Yes, okay, it seems to be in alignment. Okay, perfect, we're gonna put that on the list. Now, what's the impact of this? Meaning uh, five being the highest, one being the lowest. What's the impact of spending advertising dollars on the podcast to grow to $500 million. And some, some people might say, oh, that's a five. Or some people might say, that's a two. You know, So you take the scoring feedback from different people and then you put them uh, as an average in that particular column, right? So Mike might say five, Tam might say one, Brooks might say three, and then we get an average and it turns out to be three. And then we write down three, okay? Same thing with confidence. I'm gonna ask the group, okay, what's your confidence level that this is going to work, right? Then people will say, okay, this is five or this is three. And then you get an average again and you write that down. So maybe it's like one or something. And then, um, then we talk about ease. So how easy is this to do, 
right? So then everybody scores that, you get an average. And so you do this for every single opportunity you have on the list. And what happens, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well, Mike, is that it takes away the the excitement almost and the emotions attached to certain opportunities that people come up with. And you start to get really objective and think about, okay, maybe this is actually not that great of idea now that I score it and objectively look at it and then also get the feedback from others as well, right? So in that sense, you get kind of like this mastermind feedback on all these opportunities because you get different perspectives from different people rating the opportunity that's in front of them, right? So this is a great way for us to kind of like prioritize like what we need to do as a company because I have my own ideals, you have your ideals, Brooks has his ideals, and when we come together with other people and such, and we rate these kind of things, we start to see, oh man, maybe my idea was actually not that great, right? Because I'm rating it as a five, but others are rating it as a one. And uh, you start to realize, oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, generally we are over-optimistic about everything. But when you get outside perspectives, you start to kind of get a reality check in that sense. So we took that framework and then applied it to the mastermind as well. So imagine having having sat through a whole mastermind day, eight hours of hot seats, people giving tips, advice. Sure, you know, when you're in the hot seat, you're gonna be asked, you know, what your number one step is to take at the end and what the outcome is and how we're gonna get you there. Um, But like I said before in the podcast episode of today, there's also a lot of tips and strategies that are being shared with others for and for others that might apply to you as well. And you might have a list of 50 things to do as well, right? So how do you then prioritize that list? And so this is where, the, again, the ice matrix comes in. And so at the end of the day, I ask people, okay, list of, make a list of all the things that you want to pursue and score these based on the ice matrix that I just explained. So how big is the impact? What's your confidence level? What's the ease level like like how easy is it to do and sometimes you'll see something that's five 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 and you're like okay this is a winner this is something i definitely have to consider and sometimes you'll see one 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 and you're like uh okay sounded like a great idea but it's actually kind of tough to execute or maybe not that impactful and you can scrap that and once you score everything you get kind of an average for everything and you start to see oh you know, there's actually an 80-20 to everything. You'll start, you'll always see that. There's an 80-20 to everything. You'll see a few items that have the highest scores and those are the ones you should pursue. Maybe you end up with like two or three or four, five at most. And then from there, you can then prioritize like from there. So uh, I find that's extremely valuable on the company level, but also um, when we did it for our mastermind, it was actually the first time I did it in that setting. And that seemed to be working really well. There's always an 80-20. That could be the unofficial agent efficiency motto, I think. Even the 80-20. There's an 80-20 of the 80-20. I want to go back to what you had mentioned uh, about how we use this at agent efficiency. And I also want to add that I think uh, with the different areas of accountability, that could factor into people's different scores as well. So the fact that maybe I think something is super important uh, and Brooks maybe doesn't, you know, I rated a five, he rates it a one. We've got different perspectives because we've got different people who have different areas of accountability within the company. Again, those are different perspectives, which is contributing to a better overall product or a better overall plan for the company, you know, in, in this particular case. Uh, I also want to mention that the ice matrix, what I really like about this and why I think it's valuable, even if you were to use this personally, is 
that it it shifts the question that you're asking about all the things that you could be doing. So the mastermind is great because you get there and you can get clarity around the problem that you're having. You can get a bunch of potential solutions. But in the, our particular case, you know, everybody had their turn in the hot seat. They got all these potential solutions. Then they went through this exercise individually and that brought clarity to what was the thing that they should be doing next, even if they didn't understand it at the end of their hot seat session, because they're no longer asking, should I do this thing? There are lots of things that if you just ask, should I do this and frame it as a yes or no question, the answer is going to be yes. And when you ask the question that way, you can quickly find yourself committing to a bunch of things. Like you said, we're over-optimistic, both as companies and as individuals and what we can get done. Uh, But when you start to ask yourself, which of these things should I be doing? And when you've got a really simple framework in order to score these things, then the solution or the answer to what you should be doing, like you said, the 555, which is really easy to implement, won't take you a whole lot of time. That's a no brainer. That's the thing that you should be focusing on. That's the thing that should happen next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just, again, getting different perspectives on the company level and then also just stepping away from being married to certain ideas because when you put your thinking hat on and really evaluate your own ideas, um, this matrix and this, this sort of framework makes it a lot easier to kind of step away, take out the emotions and really think through, okay, logically, rationally, what's, what's actually the impact, the confidence and ease? What's the overall benefit of this particular thing that you just came up with? And it's just very difficult to kind of step away from that on our own. So using tools like this will make it a lot easier. Right. And so you'd mentioned earlier, one of the things we want to do is we want to deliver actionable content. And if I were to pick one thing as a listener that you should implement right away, it would be something like this ICE framework. And feel free to use this uh, where you have rating whatever you're trying to decide, all the different options, rate them by impact, confidence, and ease. Um, now let's before we wrap up here, Tan. I want to talk about because you were the architect of this mastermind, and based on the people that were there, it seemed to go pretty well. But I want to know what are the biggest lessons that you learned from hosting the mastermind? Mm, okay, um, so I think the first one is that I could delegate a whole events to one person. I think that was the biggest takeaway for me personally because. Uh, in the past, we've held a conference before, we've held mastermind befores and workshops, and I was always the one leading the points to kind of figure out the initial process and figure out like how everything works, what the cost is like, and everything else. And having done the mastermind several times now, I was able to immediately delegate it to somebody else, in this case, Nicole, uh, my executive assistant, to put the whole event together because I had so much experience putting it together in the past. It was relatively easy to delegate it and have somebody else run point. So I think that was one of my biggest takeaways and um, it will only get easier. And as you and I already know, Mike, and I bring it up a lot of times in our sprints is, you know, when you do something for the first time, it's always going to be the most difficult. It's always going to be slow. It's always going to be the most frustrating. (laughs) It's going to be the most challenging part. But once you have done it once, you can then create optimizations to do it faster and so in the past couple of sprints, for example, we introduced some new stuff in the workbooks for the dojo. And the first couple of times were really slow, as you saw. And then over time, people started to optimize for things. 
and being able to delegate something for the first time, especially if something you've never done before, is always going to be really challenging. So I always recommend people that do it yourself first, then delegate it. It will be so much easier over time. And hopefully in the future, I can start delegating stuff that uh, that people haven't done before and I haven't done before. So that would be something I'm looking forward to. Uh, so that's the first big takeaway. I would say the second big takeaway is that we really need this in our industry. The fact that uh, we've done it several times now and people, some people keep coming back. Some people are getting amazing results from this. I think we really need to in- introduce this in our industry even more. So I'm glad we're talking about it today. And that's, um, I think... If people really open up to the idea of joining a mastermind and participating in one, whether that's ours or starting your own or some other masterminds, I think you're going to get a lot of value from it. And this is something that is just not talked about often enough in our industry because, like I said earlier, you oftentimes cannot trust people that are close to you for their advice because they're just trying to be nice. They can't give you a straight answer. Uh, But also... Um, when you join a mastermind, you get different perspectives and that's a lot of the value. And when you have challenges, you need that. And uh, I really want to bring that to our industry. So I'm really excited about that. So yeah, so I talked about that. And then also, I just think that our customers are awesome. Uh, I know you love our customers and readers as well, but it's just seeing them in person, shaking their hands, looking them in their eye, hearing their story, hearing what they have to share. We all realize, you know, we're all human. Um, We're all dealing with different things. We're all supportive of each other. And by the end of the whole events, everybody walks away with new friendships. Everybody walks away with clarity, feeling more confident about what they're about to do next in their life. And that's just very difficult to replicate from something like an online course. And even though, you know, our our courses are amazing and world-class and I consider the best in our industry, there's just something about meeting somebody in person, helping them in person that you just cannot replicate through an online course. So I'm really excited about doing this more often and helping people in person. And, uh, and I think it just takes the relationship that we have with certain people just to the next level. And I'm just like you, Mike, you always talk about on the podcast. I'm just amazed how smart our people are and what kind of amazing things people do. Like we had a world famous harmonica player join the mastermind and I thought well what what does a harmonica player really need when it comes to productivity right but they were having their own challenges we have people who were like senior executives in the fortune 500 companies I'm like wow like you deal with so much stuff and you have very interesting problems like I actually want to hear you talk about your challenges because I'm interested to hear like what other people think of the solutions for this so I'm learning a lot myself as well from hearing other people's backgrounds and stories so Yeah, I think the in-person format is just great. I have to give a shout out here to all the awesome people that made the mastermind so successful. Having the right people in the room really is a vital aspect of the mastermind experience. If you don't surround yourself with the right people, the advice you get won't do you much good. Now, fortunately, our customers are some of the smartest people that I've ever met. In fact, everyone who attended the Mastermind was an Asian Efficiency customer, and most of them can be found in the Dojo, our online productivity community. So if you're looking for the right virtual room where you can connect with like-minded achievers who can show you your own blind spots, 
then the dojo is the place for you. Now here's the best part. You can get access to everything the dojo has to offer for only $1 for your first month. But this offer is just for podcast listeners, so if you want to take advantage of this special offer, you have to go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You'll get access to the entire dojo, including the private video training library, the community, which can help hold you accountable for reaching your goals, and direct access to myself, Brooks, Tan, and the rest of the Asian Efficiency team. But that $1 for your first month offer is only available at theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You can also find links to everything that we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 192. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us an iTunes review or a star in Overcast. It really helps us out and helps other people find out about the show. The show is on Twitter as at ProductivityFM. And if you want to get your questions answered and get mentioned on the show, you can send us a tweet with the hashtag AskTPS. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Productive Monday.